0: So last week when we were on vacation, I, uh, I and my family joined all of you from worship from the other side of the boob tube. Uh, and uh, you know, when you do that, you can say some things to each other that you, you often think in church, but maybe don't say out loud. We got to the end of the reading of St. Paul last week and my daughter says, Dad, I find St. Paul confusing at times. Anyone feel that way after the Romans passage today? (laughs) See, it used to be difficult to communicate what St. Paul meant in this passage by the power of sin at work in our flesh. Because Paul here is using the word flesh not merely to mean our mortal bodies. Although, the weakness we experience through our bodies uh, makes our physical bodies a valid example of what he's talking about when he talks about the flesh, and the one most readily to hand, right? I mean, when I talk to Christians, uh, when I talk to people outside the church about Christianity, the scripture passage non-Christians know best is, judge not that you shall not be judged. When I talk to Christians inside the church, the passage they seem to know best is, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, St. Paul is, in talking about flesh the way he is, is doing this, a very common thing is done in Scripture, which is where you take something that's a valid example and use that to point to the larger reality at work. Okay? For St. Paul, the flesh is a force opposed to God and His desires for us. It is the condition in which we live, the condition of us being sold under sin. Which means we are a slave to sin. This is a fairly famous lithograph of a Roman slave market. This would have been the kind of slave market St. Paul was familiar with in the Roman Empire. Children men and women of all colors and creeds, for sale. And in this case, sin is what purchased us. And although we are, most of us, well aware of our weaknesses, we're not used to thinking of ourselves as having a master, thinking of ourselves as slaves to some force that is larger than us, but at work within our very selves. This is, again, a Roman depiction of a slave and a master. Now, modern life has supplied us, though, with an analogy that helps us get at what St. Paul is talking about. In the world we live in, everyone's very familiar with this word. And this concept, addiction. Now, we're told that addiction is a disease. That is, it is a foreigner to us in our native and healthy state. In fact, although it's foreign to us, it takes up residence in us. And if you've ever been sick with something, you know that it's hard to tell where the sickness ends and you begin. I can tell I have a cold, but I can't tell you where it resides. In the case of cancer, your own body has gone crazy and is rebelling against you. Now when most of us think of addiction, we think of somebody like this. Someone in the Bowery or perhaps a a family member who struggles greatly and maybe secretly with some kind of addiction. And we think about them and we have pity for their condition. But we maybe have a a little bit of trouble empathizing with where they're coming from. Christians often like to give testimonies about the way God has set them free and sometimes we're amazed at the conversion stories that people tell of the way that God has freed them from their obsessions and their addictions. Christian comedian Tim Hawkins talks about this says, you sit there and you listen to them talk in church and you think to yourself, boy, how, how do I even talk about my struggles? You know, I wish I was a heroin addict. I think modern life has brought something into our lives that has brought addiction far closer to home and something with which we can empathize a lot more if we're honest with ourselves. Say hello to my little friend. Some statistics on phone usage if you don't think this is an addiction. If you're an average American, you will receive 46 push notifications today. That's you paying for the privilege of somebody else advertising to you. Those push notifications are meant to make you pick up that device and take a look at it and partially in reaction to those and partially in reaction to your own inner urges, you will do that. To the tune of over 2,600 times today. The average American uses their smartphone for 22 and three quarter hours per week. That's nearly a whole one day out of seven, folks, given to that device. People who use it more, typically youth, use it about four and a half hours a day, and that adds up to over 30 hours per week. The people who designed these devices have learned to game our own neural systems against us. They've studied our psychology, they've studied our neurology and the way they work, and they have optimized these devices to benefit themselves. We pay for the contract, but they get the benefit. The goal is to keep our appetites stimulated, making us better consumers. This lets them better sell us things, and if we don't buy stuff, they can always turn around and sell our information to manufacturers. Have you noticed that if you talk around your cell phone, even if you don't have it on, let's say, like we're putting a deck on the back of my house, I talk about that around my wife, and all of a sudden the advertisement's in my phone. Just start reflecting decking material. We're addicts to these devices. We can't imagine living without them. They don't want us to imagine living without them. Addic- this addiction drives other addictions. Oh, you didn't know the pastor was going to get spicy this morning. Two-thirds of all young men and one out of five young women use pornography at least once every week. Many up to three times a day. Far from being healthy, this has caused a rise in sexual dysfunction that's unbelievable. Men in their 20s being treated for... Conditions that men in their 60s used to go to specialists for. And increasing numbers of both sexes who are just giving up on dating entirely. The whole thing being too difficult. The expectations too out of line with reality. And most of us think of gambling addiction as something happens down at the Sands, down along uh, Route uh, 78 there. But um, let me show you something that works the same part of your brain as a slot machine and this is not me throwing stones and I live in a glass house, this is my family's favorite, this is what we do every night before bed while we were on vacation last week my daughter showed me this screenshot from her phone, I broke it into two pieces so you could read it a little bit better, I had to edit some of the words because it is the internet after all it's so blank when you have to convince yourself to do your hobbies. Like, it's fun. You like it. Why can't you just do it? Do it. Do it. But what if mindless media consumption instead? Followed by, I'm so sorry to the 7,000 of you who so far who relate. The page continued. I broke in half so I could blow it up for you. As I said, I have to read this over here. Me, I want the creativity dopamine. My brain says back, but consider that the media dopamine is easier. Me, but I want the other kind. Brain, but this kind is easier. Body says, "Listen, I'm tired. Listen to the brain. Take the easy hit." Fine, but I'm going to diminish its efficacy by being annoyed. The brain and body curse. <laughs> Somebody responds, "I've been attacked." This is driving a fad right now. If you're not aware of this, a fad called dopamine fasting. Dopamine is the drug in your brain that ma- that gets activated when you feel pleasure. Um, I read about this, heard a podcast about this. I'm going to try this. I I can't give up my cell phone. That's how quickly the rationale comes. I, I can't give up my cell phone. It's part of my work. So I'll just decrease my cell phone usage. After a week of fasting from my phone as much as possible, I got this message on Sunday. Congratulations! You have used your cell phone seven minutes less than last week. For those of you keeping track, that means my grand resolve amounted to a .05 decrease in my cell phone usage. I feel like St. Paul. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The body of death is the flesh he's talking about. Because we've been sold under sin. We're a slave to sin. See, in biblical perspective, we always serve a master, and that master is never ourselves. If you think you're serving yourself, ask yourself where you got all your appetites from and trace back your advertising, folks. Mm -hmm. We serve sin, death, and the devil, or we serve God and Jesus Christ. See, sin tells us that satisfying our appetites will make us happy, but it ends up making us dysfunctional. And ironically, not even being able to take joy in the appetites we satisfy. That is what is called the yoke of sin. The yoke is just a tool we use to put our body to work, to haul something heavy or drag something heavy. Sin shackles us to our disordered appetites and makes us haul them around behind us like a plow till well... Still we end in despair, but still aren't imagined to live in. Imagine living without those appetites. Even Mick Jagger, in the end, had to admit that he couldn't get no satisfaction, folks. And he tried, he tried really hard. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body to death? But St. Paul goes on. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, His yoke, His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Because He carries it with us. Because His burden is meant to set us free. See, when He is our master instead of sin... What we learn from him is abstain for a little while and under certain conditions. See, all things were created good. It's it's our way of seeking to enjoy them that's disorder. So abstain for a while or under certain conditions so that you may learn how to value these good things rightly. Then the satisfaction of your appetites will bring you more than just relief from scratching an itch. It has the opportunity to bring you deep Contentment. Ah, but because we have to endure the apparent hardship up front in order to experience the freedom Christ wants to give us, it becomes for us a test of loyalty, a test of faith. Do we want Christ's yoke or do we want sin's yoke? Do we listen to the raging siren song of our appetites, our flesh? Or do we listen to the peaceful, but no less persistent voice of the Spirit within us? In his famous poem, Robert Frost said, Two roads diverged in a wood. Now their destination is not likely to be the same, and even if it is, you're not going to get there by the same path, folks. Two roads diverge and there's a choice for us to make. I would like to conclude my sermon by um, telling you a story about a kid named Steve. Steve was in my youth ministry back in the late 90s. Steve was that kid who joined the the group because a friend was part of the group. And he was that scrappy little kid who was up for anything. 98 pounds, dripping wet. He was probably about 4 foot 10 no matter what we were going to do, get me in there, get me in there, coach, let me do it. He was that kid. I loved him. Steve had extreme pronounced scoliosis. They tried all kinds of therapies to help straighten out his spine, but it kept curving worse and worse and worse until finally he was required to have a massive surgery. In that surgery, they were fairly certain he wouldn't lose his life. there was a fair chance that he would lose the use of his legs I prayed with him and I prayed with and sat with his family for the 12 hours he was under the knife when I met him in the recovery room he had in the space of 12 hours gained 2 inches of height but the journey wasn't over for him Because you see, all those muscles and all those tendons wanted to pull his spine back into the shape it had been for all those years. So now came a grueling regimen of physical therapy. And although that physical therapy was incredibly painful up front, he threw himself into it with all of the zeal that he showed for everything else in his life because it gave him the chance to live a life that was extraordinarily different than the one he would have lived with that condition. A completely different, more fulfilled life. Frost's poem concludes this way. He says, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Choosing the way of Christ, the yoke of Christ, is the road less traveled by. As Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and left untried. But if we take Christ's yoke, knowing what we do because of his death and resurrection, of his good intentions for us, that he wishes to set us free. He's already freed us from the wages of our sin. Now he wishes to free us from the tyranny of our sin. The flesh that drives us to live lives we don't want to live. Addicted to the ways of this world. Would you join me now as we pray? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you have set us free from the wages of our sin, the death that inevitably would come to us for eternity by your son's sacrifice on the cross for our sake. Let us now learn from him as teacher. Let us resolve to help him by turning to him again and again in the midst of our struggles, midst of our weaknesses, letting him shoulder our burdens and teach us and strengthen us to shoulder them ourselves. Let us cooperate with your grace, which is beyond our merit, beyond the scope of our ability to understand, until finally we stand in your presence and hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask this In His name, which is forever, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Be Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Be Thou my best art in the day and the night. You're sleeping, that presence, my life.